I don't know if you know this guy, Chris Kamara. He's a former professional uh, soccer player and football manager. And he now works as a presenter and, and football analyst on Sky Sports. His live updates of games have become legendary. Not just because of how excited he gets about those games, but also because of his unusual sayings and his hilarious mistakes. And this is one of his famous appearances from way back in 2007. So I apologise for the, the quality of the video, but hopefully you can hear what he's saying. Okay. And one goal at Portsmouth. In fact, make that two. Here's Chris Kamara. Unbelievable stuff here, Jeff. I'm telling you now, last season, I, well, I told you already, from a yard out, he couldn't hit a band over the banjo. Now, he's absolutely on fire. He's just picked up the ball in midfield. He's ran past Shorey. He's ran past Inga Marsen. And then he shifted the ball to his side on his right foot. And then, bang, bottom corner, away from Marcus Allerman. What an absolute beauty. 2-0. I tell you what, Fratton Park, no place for those of a nervous disposition this afternoon. A fifth goal, Chris Kamara. Jeff, unbelievable, I have to say. What a game this is. Magnificent. Silver Distant, who'll be a goalkeeper. Silver Distant down the left-hand side. He's crossing the ball into the box. Marcus Hanneman comes out, he's like Superman. Only the fact is, Superman always gets the job done. Marcus Hanneman doesn't get the job done. Herman Ryderson gets to the ball before him. And again... The net is gaping. It's in the back of the net, off the top of his head. It's 3-2. There has been, and it is a rugby score now, isn't it, Chris Kamara? Unbelievable, Jeff. <laughs> it's amazing. It's raining goals, as they say. There has been another goal. I know you'll find this hard to believe. There's been another goal at Fratton Park. Chris Kamara. Jeff, ready to score. Nicky Shorey has just plundered one in. From about 20 yards, it took a, a deflection off Stoll Campbell. I can't believe it. I honestly cannot believe it. That guy likes his soccer, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, Chris thought that that game of soccer was unbelievable. That's actually his catch line, catchphrase now. Unbelievable, Jeff. He just could not believe the scoreline, which maybe isn't surprising because it's actually the highest scoring match in Premier League history. Okay, a little bit of trivia that you can hold on to. So that game was unbelievable. He just could not believe it. But sadly, this was also a similar response when many people saw Jesus and listened to his words. They also concluded it was unbelievable. And even when the evidence was right there in front of them, they refused to believe in what they saw. But at this, in this last section of John chapter 12, Jesus made a final appeal for us to believe. So let's read it together. It's in John chapter 12. If you haven't got a Bible, there are Bibles on, over there on the table if you want to grab one and look up John chapter 12. That's fine if you want to do that. Or if you just want to listen, again, that's fine. But we're going to read from verse 37 down to verse 50. So John chapter 12 and verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for those, for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. It was way back in January, excuse me, is a little, my voice a little bit croaky this morning, I've got what, got what Tony got, got. don't know if he gave me it, or Maggie gave me it, or it's just going round. So way back in January, we started our journey through John's Gospel. And, and at that time, we noted that John wrote his Gospel with a really clear purpose in mind. He wasn't just writing a biography of the life of Jesus. And he wasn't just writing a historical textbook. And neither was he just picking out the, the the most exciting or the most interesting parts of the story and just putting it all together. Instead, John was very clearly writing to reveal to us who Jesus is. So that people would believe in him. This is what he said in John chapter 20 verse 31. It's been our theme verse as we've been going through this. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So over the three years of public ministry... John and the other disciples of Jesus became convinced that he wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a prophet sent from God. They came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And when they put their faith in him, they received that gift of eternal life that only he can give. And John wrote his gospel to provide that same evidence that we need. 
to help us to come to the very same faith. So that we can see who Jesus is. And through our faith in him, that we can come and experience that life. In his name. And so far, as we've been reading through the first 12 uh, chapters of John's Gospel, we've seen six of those seven miraculous signs that point to Jesus. But isn't it how it's so tragic that some people who saw those miraculous signs did not believe in Jesus? Read that in verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe. I don't know if you've heard people say that seeing is believing. You heard people say that? Yeah? Well, that's not the case here. For them, seeing was not believing. In spite of all the evidence that was provided eh, for them, in spite of seeing water turned into wine at a wedding in Cana, the healing of a, a royal official's son, a paralysed man just picking up his bat mat and walking away, a crowd of over 5,000 people being fed from five loaves and two fish, the healing of a man who had been blind from birth, and even the raising of Lazarus who'd been dead and buried for four days. And of course, seeing a whole load of other miracles. Because as John says in verse, 20, in verse 30 of John chapter 20, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He didn't just do seven. He did lots and lots. But in spite of all of that evidence, all the weight of that evidence, in spite of all those miraculous demonstrations of Jesus' power and grace, in spite of the clear proof of who he is, still those people would not believe. Of course, it doesn't make sense to do that. It was irrational. It was illogical. It was a rejection of the clear facts in front of them. But this did not take God by surprise. God wasn't sitting there thinking, what are we going to do now? Why don't they believe? Because their unbelief did not stop God's plan and purpose. In fact, 700 years before this event, God had promised to the prophet Isaiah that this was going to happen. In verse 38, John quotes from Isaiah 53. In verse 1, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord, that's his, that's his power and his might. And it been clearly revealed to them. And yet they still closed their eyes in their hearts to the truth they heard the message they saw the miracles but they refused to believe now throughout John's gospel we've seen many reasons for this unbelief one of them 
was that Jesus, the Messiah, was not the Messiah that they were expecting, that they wanted. The next verse of Isaiah 53, verse 2, actually says this. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. When Jesus walked down the, the street, people didn't look at him and say, Wow, he must look like, he is the king. He just looks like the king. He didn't look that way. Jesus did not look like the king they were expecting. He did not say the things they wanted to hear. He did not do the things that he wanted them to do. And so they despised them. And they rejected him. But ultimately the reason why they rejected Jesus was because of their sin. Way back in John chapter 3, Jesus said this, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People didn't want to come into the light of Jesus because his light highlighted their darkness, their sin. And they were not willing to face up to the reality of their guilt. They didn't want Jesus to shine his light into their lives because they didn't want to have to change. They didn't want to have to humble themselves and recognize that they'd fallen short of God's standard. But did you notice the result of that? Did you see what the result of this unbelief was? It's pretty terrifying. Look at verse 39. For this reason, for this reason, they could not believe. For this reason, they could not believe. The consequence of their rebellion against God was that because they hardened their hearts against Him, as a result, God acted in judgment and darkened their understanding. So John quotes from Isaiah again. This time Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 40 he says this, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn. And I would heal them. This is what Isaiah was told when he was commissioned as a prophet. Okay? He saw the Lord in his glory, which maybe is what Jesus is referring to in verse 41. And he was told that his message would be a judgment on the nation because they'd rejected God and because they turned their back on him. And as a result of that, their hearts would be increasingly hardened. So they could not even see or hear or understand God's truth. The more they pushed away Jesus from their life, 
the more they just couldn't see what he was saying anymore or understand it anymore. I know it's an unpleasant reality. It's a terrifying reality. But this is God's response to all who reject him. He gives people over to their own desires. It's not that he pushes people away from him. But instead he gives them what they want. Paul speaks about this kind of thing in Romans chapter 1, the same principle. He spoke about the consequences of humanity's rebellion against God. Not going to look at it in detail, but some of the verses pick out, says this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so later on, verse 26, it says, God gave them over to shameful lusts. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. This is God's judgment on people who pushed them, him out of their lives. He allows them to get what they want. He allows them to experience what they desire. They want to push God out of their life? Well, that's what they get. And as a result, their hearts become increasingly hard, their eyes become increasingly blind, their desires become increasingly depraved, and their lives become increasingly messed up. Until one day they experience what it is to be finally and fully separated from God forever. It's an unpleasant thought. It's a terrifying reality. But it's given to us this morning as a solemn warning. Not to reject the light that we have received. Because one day we might not be able to see it any longer. So Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. Listen for the promise. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God. For he will freely pardon. So today, if you hear this message and you haven't yet responded Please don't put it off. Please don't say, not just now. Because one day we might not be able to see it any longer. Some people chose not to believe in Jesus. But then there's other people who did see and did believe in Jesus. But tragically, they chose to hide it. Look at verse 42. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. It's an encouraging statement, isn't it? Even though so many people rejected Jesus, there were some people who believed in Jesus. They saw the evidence of the miracles, they listened to his words, they were impacted by his character, by his actions, and they accepted that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
What a wonderful reality for us to hold on to today. That even in times of terrible unbelief and rejection of Jesus, God always has his remnant. God always has his people. Right down through all the generations. For example, in Elijah's day, the prophet Elijah from way back in the Old Testament. At that time, the majority of the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. And they'd gone to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. And as a result, Elijah got really discouraged. And he said to God, that he was the only one who was left who worshipped the true and living God. I'm the only one. Everybody else has turned their back on God. But the Lord corrected his misunderstanding. 1 Kings chapter 19 says this, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. God always has his people. So even though it might look today as if so many people are tragically choosing not to believe in Jesus, today, in Ireland, God still has his people. Jesus promised, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And Jesus always keeps his promises. Today, he is building his church. Don't believe the hype that says that everybody's turning away from God. Oh, nobody believes in Jesus anymore. No young people believe in Jesus anymore. It's just not true. God always has his people. So these people believed in Jesus. That's a good bit. But, verse 42, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. The opposition from the leadership of that nation was so great against Jesus that the religious leaders had decided that anyone who was going to say that Jesus is the Messiah would be excluded from the synagogue. They'd be treated like outcasts, outsiders. Completely cut off from the community of God's people. And so for some people, that cost was too great to bear. That's because they loved praise from men more than praise from God. They cared more about their standing in their community than they did about standing for God. They cared more about what people thought of them than they did than what God thought about them. They wanted to please other people more than they wanted to please Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? What a ridiculous priority list. To put other people and their reputation and their standing in the community higher than what God thought. And yet, if we're honest, I think we can understand the pressure and the temptation that they were under, can't we? Isn't it tough to take a stand for Jesus today? 
Isn't it hard to go against the prevailing religious viewpoint today? Don't we sometimes find that hard? Isn't it difficult to face ridicule from family and friends? Oh, you're not one of those Christians, are you? You don't read the Bible these days. Don't you know that's an old-fashioned, out-of-date book? You don't believe that Jesus did all these miracles, do you? It's hard. I think if we're honest, we all experience that. And yet it's so important that we take that stand. It's so important that we accept that opposition or even ridicule or that cost. Because Jesus doesn't call anybody to be a secret disciple. doesn't call anybody to do that. This is what Jesus said again. Very challenging words. Luke chapter 9 and 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we ashamed to call ourselves somebody who has has followed Jesus? Are we ashamed to say, as Mike said this morning, that Jesus is the love of my life? When you think of it, how could we put our comfort or our reputation or our relationships or our career before honouring the one who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross? If Jesus went to the cross for us, how could we ever say that standing for him in this generation is just too great a cost to bear? Said we need to be like Peter and John when they were ordered never to speak about Jesus again under pain of death. They declared this Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen. So if we've been hiding our faith recently, if we've been keeping quiet when we should speak up, if we've been trying to just avoid anybody seeing that we're a follower of Jesus, let's repent of that. Let's turn that around. And let's take our stand with Jesus. Because we know whatever it costs us, He is worth it all. He is worth it. So some people chose not to believe. Others, they chose to hide their belief. But John, he concluded his record here of Jesus' public ministry with a final and passionate call for people to believe. Then Jesus cried out. The rest of John's Gospel, we're going to be looking at that in the new year. That focuses on Jesus' private, upper room ministry with his disciples. Then his arrest, leading to his crucifixion and his resurrection. But here, as if for the last time, Jesus stands before the crowd and he calls out to them. 
to turn from their sin and put their faith in him. And as he did so, he touched on so many of the truths that we've seen in the previous 12 chapters of this gospel. So let's just going to look quickly at them just before we finish. Firstly, Jesus pointed out his unique identity as the Son of God. This is what he said in verse 44. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Listen to this. Believing in Jesus is the same as believing in the Father. Faith in Jesus is faith in God. And what that means is, without faith in Jesus, you can have no faith in God. Some people claim to say, oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Jesus said that's impossible. He also said that seeing him is seeing the Father. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. None of us could say that. None of us could say, just look at me and you'll see God. Of course not. We're so far away from that. But Jesus could say, look at me and you'll see exactly God. And he said that listening to Jesus is listening to the Father. Whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. You don't need to do any editing out of Jesus' words. You don't need to say, well, that's good, but I think he kind of lost the the plot there. That bit, that really doesn't matter. That doesn't mean anything. So let's just cut that out and just let's focus on this bit. You don't need to do that with Jesus. Because everything he said was what his father told him to say. This is what we've seen throughout John's Gospel, isn't it? Jesus is uniquely one with the Father. And so he is the final and complete revelation from God. Listen to what he says in chapter 1. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Today we don't need to talk about us searching for God. Seeking God. Trying to find God. We need to sit around in a a circle and say, well, what do you think God is like? Or what do you think God is like? We don't need to do any of that. If you and I want to know God today, we want to be sure about who he is, what he is calling us to do, how he wants us to live. We just need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen to what he says. And put our faith in him. All of the doubt, all of the questions can be put to one side and we can just follow and follow Jesus. What an amazing gift we have. Secondly, Jesus pointed out his unique role as the light. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He is the the one and only true source of light that can dispel all the darkness in our lives. So rejecting Jesus leaves us in the darkness of our ignorance and our slavery to sin and to death. But believing in Jesus leads us into his light. The light of his direction and revelation and salvation. 
Remember this verse, John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then finally, Jesus pointed out his unique offer as the life-giving Savior. Those who reject him will one day stand in judgment before him. They will be condemned by the words that they have rejected. The very word I spoke will condemn them on the last day. A serious reality. Again, Jesus is not afraid to talk about the truth here. Despite how uncomfortable it is. So rejecting him leaves us under God's wrath. But, those who follow him, they can rejoice that they have a life. In all its fullness that starts now and will go on forever. Jesus said about his father's word, I know that his command leads to eternal life. That's why our response to Jesus is so crucial. That's why we can't keep this to ourselves and hide our faith and protect ourselves and leave the world to go to hell. This is a matter of life and death. Rejecting him leads to death. But believing in him leads to eternal life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death. So our question this morning, folks, is just a simple one. How are we going to respond to Jesus? Are we going to say that this is all just unbelievable? And we choose not to believe it. Or are we going to claim that we believe in it, but choose to live to please the world instead? Or are we going to accept him as the Son of God, the light of the world, the life-giving Savior? And are we going to receive that wonderful salvation that he came to give us?